Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Biff Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Mee, joined by my friend and colleague, Mr. Adam Shear. How you doing today, Adam? I'm doing great, Jerry. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's get right into our topic today because we got a great one to discuss. Today, we'll be talking about the fine world of qualified dividends. That's right. Yeah, we want to get some money, right? We want to get some yeah. some payout from our investments. <laughs> Nothing like getting paid, right? That's right. Awesome. Well, uh, Adam, I get so many questions from students on qualified dividends. Um which even though it seems like a pretty simple topic at first glance, there's actually a lot of nuance to it. So I'm hoping you can kind of help me break it down for our listeners and explain for them, explain to them, you know, exactly how all this works. Cause I know you're, you're pretty well versed in this area. Yeah. I'd, I'd love that. Well, when we talk about dividends, right? So uh, it's going to be coming from an, an asset, likely a, a stock or even a preferred stock. There are dividends that go along with them. And um, just some common characteristics that you'll see are, you know, consistent earnings, some solid financials. It's a way for the company to pay back their their shareholders for for being owners of of that company. And not all dividends are the same. In fact, there's a really uh, crucial difference between the types of dividends that are out there. And there are two buckets of dividends. One is qualified dividends, like you mentioned at the top, Jerry. And the other one are non-qualified dividends. So we have these two baskets of dividends. And there are some check-the-box requirements that we need to have in place in order to get to a qualified dividend. And um, why that matters, really, is that if we're talking qualified dividends, the investor slash taxpayer has the opportunity for those preferential capital gains tax rates on the dividend payout. So whether it's zero or 15 or 20, as it currently stands, um, that can be applied to the dividend, uh, which could lead to some great tax planning opportunities, right? Um, yeah, so that, that I would say is really the biggest difference between those is the tax rate. You that's know, right. That is really what sets them apart, quali like qualified versus non-qualified. The thing you're qualifying for is you're qualifying for that better tax rate. That's right. Yeah. And the, the flip side of that is that if it's non-qualified, yeah, you're, you're not in, in many cases, you're not going to get that, that more preferred tax rate on the dividend. You're going to be, it's going to be treated as ordinary income. So essentially it's just going to go through your tax flow and it's going to be part of your taxable income and the rates that apply are the rates that would be in the tax tables for your filing status, uh, which which kind of run the gamut. They they go way above twenty percent. That's for sure. If you're a higher income earner, um, so this does make a difference. And I mean, in order, like, how do we get there, right? How, how what is qualifying? And that's something that I hear as well, Jerry. Is you know, well, what's the difference and why? Like, why qualifying? So what what do we need to do? And the the two steps are the IRS says it needs to be paid out this dividend by a U.S. corporation or a qualifying foreign corporation. And simply, ah, that's just like few, few. So my my shell corps in the Canary Islands can still <laughs> yeah. count. I was worried about that. Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> um, that, so that's well, they can if there is if. a tax agreement 
uh, with the U.S. That's what really qualifies that foreign holding or foreign company uh, to check the first box. So either we're in the U.S., we're based in the U.S., or we have a tax agreement with some foreign corporation um, and we're able to check the box there. Now, the second one, and I think uh, the, the bigger one that we're going to want to track is a holding period requirement. Yes. And um, there, there are two key holding period requirements that we want to keep our eye on. There is one for uh, your common stock, and there's another for your preferred stock. So let's, let's talk about common stock first. Uh, the total period we're looking at it's a 121 day span. And okay. right in the middle of that, what cuts that, that, that thing right in half is the X dividend date. So that's kind of our midpoint. And basically mm -hmm. it goes back in time 60 days and forward in time 60 days. And the idea is you have to have owned that underlying common stock for a total of 60 plus days within that 121 day period in order to be considered a holder of a qualifying dividend. So it's a lot shorter than, you know, your long-term capital gains requirement, which is 12 mm -hmm. plus months, right? Or 12 months or more, uh, more yeah. than 12 months. That's the way to put it. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so, but it, it, it it's, uh, it's the similar time frame though, is something that I know that you and I have talked about, right? Yeah, I was gonna say, this reminds me a lot about the wash sale mechanics. Um, you know, withholding, uh, you know, stocks at a loss in order to avoid a wash sale. Um, you know, it's the, the for and after time frame. It, it just, it, it really rings true. Uh, uh, you know, if you're familiar with how wash sales work, qualified dividends should be pretty easy because it's really the same process, just a slightly different time frame. Yeah, it's a same, same span we're looking at in terms of total days, um, just some of the mechanics, right? So um, yep. whereas on the wash sale, what would, what would cut that 121 day period and a half would be um, the the sale of, of the security before repurchase. What happens here is X dividend, right? So that's the day before the record date uh, where you're gonna have to own that stock in order to qualify to get the dividend. Um, so basically that's the way it works for common stock. Uh, similar mechanics for the preferred stock. It's just that that period extends and it's a 181 day spread. So you have the X date in the middle, and you have 90 days on either side of it. And the deal there is that you have to hold it for 90 plus days for preferred stock. Um, you check both of those boxes. So that US uh, territory, US-based company, and the foreign uh, qualified foreign corporation, and the holding mm -hmm. period, you have yourself a qualifying dividend that qualifies for the preferred tax rates. So I'm just going to break it down real quick with some bullet points for our listeners. Uh, qualified, what makes it qualified is you get, you qualify for the lower tax rate of capital gains rather than regular income tax, which that's great. Paying less tax is always nice. Uh, two, it only counts on either U.S.-based companies or companies that are foreign but have negotiated tax deals with the U.S. government. And three, probably the one that catches people the most and the most important to keep track of is it needs to meet the holding period requirement before and after of the X dividend date. Uh, all in all, I think that's that's, uh, you know, kind of the three pillars of what you need to know most about qualified dividends. That's right. Yeah. So that's that's really it in a nutshell. And I think another thing that that complicates matters, and I think this is often the case in, in our field, 
is is the names that are that are applied to these things. Sometimes just I, in the I, name, it's confusing, right? I, I was going to say, I was going to play uh, devil's advocate for a moment because I know I get this question from students all the time. But Adam, you said there's only two types of dividends, <laughs> qualified and non-qualified, but I have all these ordinary dividends lying around. What are these ordinary dividends that I'm that I'm Absolutely. About? And you know, and the way the way to really frame this is uh, when you're qualified, you qualify for those better tax rates. If you're ordinary, that's ordinary income. I mean, that's yep. the way that you draw those lines and you could keep those terms uh, pretty clear in your mind. It, it's just two different words for the same thing. It's exactly. like how some people refer to, you know, IRAs as qualified accounts. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's not like it's we have these qualified IRAs, which are these special super secret IRAs that only some people have. It's no, it's the same as a regular IRA. It's just people use different words yeah. to describe different things sometimes. Tax advantaged mm -hmm. account. It's the same yep. stuff. It's just exactly. the, the specific type, right? <laughs> Yep. Much, much to our chagrin because it causes all sorts of confusion when people find an article written in 1997 and they're like, what about all of this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's tough. I mean, it's, it's really helpful um, to, I mean, you see enough of this, you read enough of it, you see, you see it in practice or you read about it in, in the literature that's out there. Um, you start to, you know, you'll often have an aha moment. You'll say, oh, it's the same thing. It's the same exact thing we're looking at here. So, uh, yep. yeah, I'm glad that we had the chance to talk about that because that is a common question and um, certainly something that could come up in, in a discussion with a client, you know, yeah. ordinary and, dividends. And... Like, what, is, what do you mean ordinary? Yeah. <laughs> um, what's ordinary about these? So uh, what's interesting, though, and, and you and I, Jerry, had talked about this um, offline, is, is that, you know, we look to those cap gains rates and they... They are, in, in many cases, going to be the, the best alternative um, mm. because you're going to have you have you have higher break points for between those bands and you're just going to get a better rate than you normally would if you in included that as income for the year. Um, but there's a special little thing that you can do. The tax people give you this uh, this wonderful option on one of their forms <laughs> to actually recharacterize this. I was going to say, Adam, I am a proud American taxpayer. <laughs> I love my country and I want to pay the most taxes I can. I'm actually going to throw away my tax advantage on my qualified dividends. It's OK, Uncle Sam. Tax me the full kid and caboodle. Exactly. My, C my CPA told me I should do this because, you know, it's the right thing to do, right? No. Not really. <laughs> oh, oh, is, is there there's something there else going a, on there? But there is there is a planning <laughs> application where it would make sense because ideally we want to play by the rules and the rules are written out in the Internal Revenue Code, right? But we we also want to pay the least amount of tax. It, it's it, it's crucial for our clients that we pay we help them to pay the least amount and this recharacterization of dividends. So you can actually take something that's qualified. It checks both of those boxes that we had talked about um, and forego the capital gain treatment. And the, the moment that you would do this is if you're in a tax year where the client has a whole bunch of investment interest expenses, uh, specifically from a margin account. So a lot of margin interest uh, and it makes sense to take those 
long-term dividend, the qualified dividends and characterize them as ordinary or non-qualified. Because what will happen is they become what's called net investment income and they can, they can offset those expenses. And the only time you do this is if it, if it makes sense on the number side. So if it results in lower tax paid, this is a viable option. Uh, but the IRS provides it for you. It's on form 4952. You have the opportunity to elect a certain amount of qualified dividends that you want to treat as ordinary dividends or non-qualified dividends. So what you're saying, Adam, is I can choose to throw away the tax advantage of qualified dividends. I can chuck that aside, choose to take it on as full income, not because it, you know I want to pay extra on my taxes, but because it's going to give me a tax write-off in another part of my taxes. That's where right. In the grand scheme of things, when I write my check to the IRS, it ends up being less because I you know, shifted the one write-off for the qualified dividends. I got rid of that write-off and instead I got my net investment income write-off instead. That's right. Yeah. So you've just, you've, you've used what you had to create the, the optimized tax result, right? It's still well within yeah. the rules, uh, but it's going to result in a, in a better outcome on the tax side. And as far as this goes, um, I would imagine that most practitioners out there would be working closely with a tax pro, with a CPA, um, mm-hmm. with other accountants to make sure that this is is processed properly. Uh, because this, this just goes to a level of nuance that I, I think, um, unless you have uh, the experience and the competency, uh, it could go pretty, pretty deep into the details. Um, there's a lot that can be done today with just tax software that's very powerful. Um, but you're going to want to consult your, your CPA for any client-related tax advice if you don't hold those marks or have the experience. Yeah. And speaking on of choosing you know, the most efficient way to use these, that kind of brings up the last point I wanted to talk about today, which is placing these investments in the right type of accounts. Because whenever taxes are involved, account types really matter. Um, you know, especially when you're talking about tax deferred accounts like IRAs or Roth IRAs and, you know, what we choose and what, where we choose to put our assets based on their taxation on a asset level and also their taxation on an account level. That's right. Yeah. This is, uh, this has been a hot topic in, in some financial planning circles uh, within the last year, but there's been a lot of discussion about asset location and that's, mm-hmm. that's really what we're talking about here. It's, it's, it's not just about allocation. So what classes of asset we have and how we, we split the pie up uh, to help the client achieve their goals on the investment side. It's about what you just alluded to, Jerry. Where do we place that asset in order to get the best result? Um, so we still have that holding. Um, however, we're able to get, you know, I've seen it referred to as a, a free lunch. You do this right, you can actually get more tax benefit um, out of it. And you know, there's, as, as we've talked about before, you and I, there's, there's not a, a prescriptive way to do this. Again, it's going to be an it depends type of proposition. We're going to have to see where the client is, what time of time, type of time horizon they're dealing with, what type of assets they're holding, because the different characteristics of, of the actual assets are going to make a difference on where we place them. And, and just for example, very simplified example, um, let's say the client has a, a pretty pretty substantial time horizon, 30, 30 or 35 years away from retirement. 
and they have a dividend paying stock, common stock, that's kicking mm -hmm. out qualified dividends to them each year. What's happening is if you place that within a brokerage account year over year, that dividend is going to get taxed, even if ultimately you bring that back into the brokerage account and reinvest it into the common stock. It's going to be getting hit with tax. Now, yes, it will get those preferred 0, 15, or 20 uh, capital gains rates, but it's still getting pulled back into the brokerage account. So it, it's, it's what, what people refer to as tax drag. So you're getting income, but it's creating a drag to the ultimately to the overall total return and performance on that asset. So the way that you can at least temporarily get around that is you could place that asset in a tax advantaged account like an IRA, because there the same effect is going to happen with the payouts, but the tax is deferred all the way downstream. So you're not paying for it today. And what can happen is, and ideally you reinvest it and the appreciation over the long run is going to make a real difference. So you'll have you'll have better return on it overall because you're without the tax drag that comes along with getting those dividends to pay out. Right. And that all goes, especially if anyone has like drip plans set up, any asset that you have reinvesting dividends and buying more stock because that starts turning into exponential gains, more, more dividends, buys more stock, which in turn throws off more dividends, which throws off more stock. And you get this snowballing effect until you have a massive position over, over time. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, that's just a very simplified way of looking at it. And, and even within that, a lot of it depends. It depends on, on the overall tax efficiency of the holdings. So um, just how much are we looking at in relation to its total return? What does the dividend really represent? I mean, is it is it a, a larger piece of that total return or is it something smaller? And if it's something smaller, it, it doesn't really matter as much. Mm -hmm. But where it becomes an issue is when you have something that is giving you uh, a whole lot in the way of returns, but it's, it's not the most tax efficient holding because it, you're getting taxed on it year over year. A, lot of, a segment of that return is getting taxed. So it's in situations like that that you'd want to take a look and say, all right, well, this is better placed in the IRA. And maybe there's something else that we can substitute on the brokerage side. So we still have a, a nice overall balance to the, the allocation. Yeah. And I think that's, that's really key. What you just said, Adam, you know, at the end of the day, it depends because uh, let me give you another simple example. That's kind of a complete opposite. Um, you know, also dealing with qualified dividends. Like let's say you have a client who they don't want to reinvest their dividends. They actually are going to be living off of their dividends as their main income stream. Maybe they're retired or uh, disabled, fixed budget, but they need these dividends for their everyday expenses. And they say, let's say they have $10,000 in a brokerage account and $10,000 in a uh, IRA. Uh, in this sort of scenario, you actually want to put the qualified dividends in the brokerage account and then any non-qualified dividend stock in the IRA because the non-qualified dividend stock is going to be taxed at a higher rate. So we want to defer that with the IRA, whereas the brokerage account, we're going to be living off these dividends. We're going to be taking them and we need to take them. So we want to pay the lowest possible tax we can. And so we're going to put the qualified dividends in the brokerage account because they have the lower capital gains tax rate that we can use right away for our living expenses and not have to worry about holding them for a year. Um, so 
that's just kind of a, another example where two different clients, two very different outcomes on what actually makes the most sense for them. Yeah. And, and, that, and I'm sure what plays into that as well is, is time horizon, right? How, how yes. long yeah. do we have? And, and also just what, what is the purpose of having these? Um, you know, if you have a shorter time horizon, does it really make that huge of a difference if you're, you're placing these within a, a tax advantaged account? Um, again, it's, it's, it isn't, it depends thing, but it's, it's something to consider. And, and it offers the opportunity for, as we said before, um, a free, a free lunch, right? Because <laughs> the, the allocation of the assets um, aren't going to fundamentally change, but you have within that the opportunity to, to maybe place them strategically and, and make for a, a better, more tax optimized experience for your clients, which can be can be big in the long run. Awesome. Well, I think that is a great place to wrap it up. Thanks so much, Adam. I know I learned a lot and I'm sure our listeners learned a lot. And thank you everyone for listening. Uh, if you're looking for some more great material, the complete Biff Bites podcast library can be found at biffbites.com. And if you have questions or ideas for episodes that you want us to tackle, make sure to send that out to info at biffbites.com. Thanks, and we'll see y'all next time. Take care.